Oh, ladies, it's such a joy to be with you today to share the Word of God. I have missed you. This has been the longest summer I've ever lived. How about you? Oh, what a thrill to be back with my sisters, the daughters of the King, to join in the study of the Word of God as we go to the Word. Would you pray with me one more time? Father, we rejoice to be here together today, either in person or online. And Father, I am asking that you do something here today that cannot be explained apart from the supernatural move of the Holy God in this place. Father, as your children, as your daughters, we are turning our faces up to you. We are looking to you by the Spirit of God and the Word of God to break the bread of life to us. Oh, fill us till we want no more. Lord, today when we leave this place, may we know that we have been in your presence and that we have heard a fresh word from you. Father, I have nothing to give these women apart from you. My confidence does not rest in my ability. My confidence is in you and you alone. And I'm asking, Lord God, that when I open my mouth, you will fill it, that you will speak to all of our hearts in a way that will resonate with us so we can receive the truth of the word today, apply it to our lives, and walk in grace and dignity and victory in Jesus Christ. Lord, meet every heart hunger that is here today in this place and out online, Father. We are looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. And we are rejoicing for the completed, finished work on the cross, our redemption has been purchased by the precious blood of the Lamb, and Lord, may we begin to enter into the fullness of that, to walk by that, to live in that, that others might see, especially in these challenging days, the reality of Christ in us. Father, meet with your daughters. We are gathered here today in the name of Jesus Christ to do your work and to watch you move. In Jesus' name, amen. And amen. Oh, beloved, would you open your Bibles now to John chapter 16. Now, last week, Donna was teaching us out of the beginning verses of John 16 about the promise of the Holy Spirit. And I want you to see how Jesus is going to continue in that vein as he is talking to his disciples. Now, if you have been tracing along through our study, you realize that we are approaching the end of what we call the upper room discord. This is shortly before Jesus and the disciples will go to Gethsemane. And from then on, as you well know, if you're a Bible student at all, that the events began to unfold very, very quickly and culminated in the death and crucifixion of Jesus Christ. And so these are, more or less, his final words, his final teaching to his disciples, which makes them even more poignant, I believe. We're watching him as he's leaning in close to these precious men to speak to them one last time in his incarnation that he might steal them deep within their spirits for the days that are to come and that his words might comfort them after the cross and then they might infuse them to step into the calling of the Great Commission as he's called all of us to make Jesus known throughout 
the nations. We cannot possibly grasp what the disciples were experiencing, but we can learn rich lessons, I believe, from this passage about how to look up when the world is crashing down. I don't know how you have managed the last few months, but if I can be totally transparent, and you already know that's the way I do things, so come on in with it, if you don't mind. Just step on in with it. I've got to tell you, I've had some tough days. Anybody? I'm telling you some tough days. Now, I have got to tell you that I caught myself being irritable and edgy, which is not exactly my temperament, but I caught myself, especially in the early days of the quarantine, when I began to feel like the whole world was whirling out of control. Now, it's so interesting to me because, as you know, I live out in a very remote area. Mr. Stockton and I live way out in Moscow, Tennessee, south of Somerville, just so you get an idea, we're an hour away from the church. We're in a very rural area, and so much of my time is spent at home. I don't come into town, it's what we call the big place of Cordova, without a purpose and a plan. And not only that, I make sure that my gas money is used efficiently as I make stops all the way back to my home out there in uh, the Williston, uh, Moscow area. And so for me, to be quarantined at home did not seem, at least initially, all that unusual or different for me. And I remember thinking, well, this is going to be a great blessing. I'm going to shut myself up here to the Lord, and I'm going to dig in and study, and I'm going to write, and I'm going to research, and, and, and I'm going to just have the best attitude through this whole thing. I'm just going to ace this. In fact, this may be what I was born for. This time may be for such a time as this. I, I mean, I was all in this thing. But I've got to tell you, there were some days I would simply wake up in a bad mood. Just before I even got out of bed, I was already angry at the whole world. And I've got to tell you, Mr. Stockdale would be top of my list. I would get up and I'm like, I'm going to find him. I'm going to tell him a thing too. Now, maybe you cannot relate to that. But I've got to tell you, these last months have been challenging for me. And, and I'm a committed, serious student of the Scripture. For 40 years, I've walked with God, and it's part of my natural, ongoing day to be committed to reading the Word and studying the Word and listening to Christian music and podcasts and walking in the Spirit. I mean, that's my life goal, lived out every day. And while I don't do it perfectly, you've got to understand this was sort of different for me, very contrary for me, and I caught myself not being able to, what I call getting my sail up out of the water, Anybody understand what I'm talking about? It was like the wind had just poof, and I could not seem to get myself righted. And even when I would get into the Word of God, I had so much distraction that my mind was just scattered all over the place. And I would read the Word and then think, what, am I, what did I just read? And the same way with commentaries and resources, although again, it's very, very often how I spend my days is reading and research. So I say this not to excuse my behavior, but perhaps in my transparency that you might understand this has been hard on all of us. Life changed in an instant, it seemed. I mean, one day we were here at Bible study telling everybody, see you next week. And the next word was everything shut down and you're all going to be staying at home for an unlimited amount of time. 
Craig and I live out in Moscow, and really the closest city town, I will say, is Oakland, Tennessee. It's still about 25 minutes away from us, and again, we consider that going into the big city. I've got to tell you, it's kind of a big deal when we go in, especially now. But several years ago, Oakland opened a touchless car wash, and I've got to tell you, we were beside ourselves. I mean, beside ourselves. Y'all, this year they opened a Wendy's in Oakland, and you would not have believed how we acted about it. The first day the traffic backed up down 64 as far as you could see to get a Wendy's, to get a Frosty. Do you understand what I'm saying? We're excited when new places and new things come to Oakland, Tennessee. Well, this car wash opened. And so they made it known that on the very first day, everybody was welcome to come and get a free car wash. Now, it happened to be on a Wednesday. And so I was telling Mr. Stockdale that we could get a free car wash. And so we were coming into church. And Craig said, how about we leave early and we run through Oakland and we get that free car wash before we go to church? It sounded like a grand plan to me. Now, you're going to have to follow me on these details. I got ready for church. I had a dress on. You're going to want to remember this. I had leggings on and boots and a denim jacket. That's what I was wearing. You're going to want to keep these details filed away in the back of your mind because they will come back around in this story. And so we go through this car wash, and you could pull off and park, and there were vacuums, and you could vacuum your car. And so my husband hops out of the driver's side, and he gets one of those vacuums. Now, let me just remind you, this type vacuum is about a 20-foot hose, and it is attached to a post. The way that vacuum turns on is when you lift it up off of that post. There's no on and off switch. When you get finished, you simply walk back and put it back on the post, and the thing turns off. Are you with me so far? There you go. And so we stop. My husband hops out. He vacuums his side. He vacuums the back seat. And then there's me. And he looked at me and he said, honey, you're all dressed up for church. You got your bag and your Bible and your notebook and all your little stuff there around your feet. He said, I'm not going to vacuum out your side because you would have to get out of my truck. And he said, I I'm just not even going to vacuum that out. And I said, oh, don't be silly. I said, I'm going to get out. I'll put all my stuff in the seat and just hand me the vacuum. Okay, y'all are getting ahead of me, but you know where this is going. I said, hand me the vacuum. And so Mr. Stockdale threads the vacuum hose, again, attached 20 feet away to the uh, column, to the housing there, hands it to me. And as I go to vacuum the floor, don't you know, it caught the tail of my dress. And it would not turn loose. I looked at my husband as it is sucking up my dress, and I am trying to get this thing off of me, and I begin to make a sound at him, something like this, whoop, 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 whoop. Craig does not know what to do because he can't turn that thing off without it releasing me, and that was not looking too promising. And so I am fighting, trying to keep my dress down and my dignity intact as this thing is sucking up my dress from the front. Finally, I pulled hard enough and got myself untangled to which I just handed it to Craig without even vacuuming the floor. I felt like it was best for all of us. Now, beloved, that is how I describe what I have been feeling, and I think many of you have been as well, the last few months. It feels like something had caught us, was holding us fast, and sucking us up into the vortex of the unknown, can I get a witness in the house? 
that's what it has felt like to me, that something was pulling at me, tugging at me, and I was having a hard time regaining my spiritual equilibrium. And so as I've studied this passage, it has so ministered to my own soul as I've looked into God's word and I've tried to put myself in the place of what it must have been like for those disciples. Now, we cannot possibly fully enter into this. They had been with the Lord Jesus day and night for over three years, nearly three and a half years, and now he's talking about going away. They're fully committed to him, and yet they cannot grasp what he is saying. You will recall they were still looking for a kingdom to be set up here on earth for an earthly king, a military king, who would overthrow uh, Rome. And this whole concept of a spiritual kingdom of God, it, it was just more than they could possibly unravel given the knowledge and understanding they had. I will remind you that the only text they had was the Old Testament. The New Testament had not yet been written. And they did not have the indwelling Holy Spirit. And as Jesus is teaching them the promise of the coming of the Holy Spirit, how he was going to be with them and how he was going to reveal the Lord to them, beloved, they could not possibly have grasped the fullness of what that means. And I've just got to quickly say, even with the full revelation of the Word of God in our hand and multiple commentaries and the opportunity to sit under uh, great pastors and preachers and hear podcasts and great Christian music, even in all of that, you and I on this side of the cross are still stunned and misunderstanding or not even able to comprehend so many of the mysteries of the faith. And yet, we simply walk by faith and we believe. But I have loved as Jesus is trying to comfort his disciples, knowing what he's about to face, beloved, his concern, his great concern was the well-being of his disciples. I love that. Oh, let that sink into your heart today that he loves you so much. And when life seems out of control, he is simply showing himself strong on your behalf because he loves you. And he wants to comfort and encourage you. And I'm hoping that's what this lesson will do today. Well, he promises the disciples three things to encourage their hearts to steal them against what they are about to witness in the death and the burial and crucifixion of Christ. And to encourage and strengthen them into the day of Pentecost when the Spirit of God would come to indwell them. The first is the promise of joy. Joy unspeakable is ours in Jesus Christ. And so he promises them joy, not joy, not happiness as the world knows it, but oh, beloved, he promises them joy. He promises and assures them of the love of the Father. And he ends this, which is basically the ending of what he wants to leave his disciples with, with his peace that passes all understanding. So I pray today that these words will find lodging in your heart. The first thing I want you to see is what I call the promise of joy. If you'll look with me now in John chapter 16, beginning in verse 16. Jesus said, a little while and you will no longer see me. And again, a little while and you will see me. I couldn't hear what you said. Now seriously. You'll have to forgive me, but Siri is trying to get my attention on my watch. I'm hoping she knows that we all love Jesus. Okay. A little while and you will no longer see me, and again a little while and you will see me. 
Some of his disciples then said to one another, what is this thing he's telling us a little while? And you will not see me, and again a little while, and you will see me, and, and because I go to the Father? And so they were saying, what is this? He says, a little while. We do not know what he's talking about. Verse 19, Jesus knew that they wished to question him, and he said to them, that is, he read their thoughts and knew their troubled hearts. Are you deliberating together about this, that I said a little while and you will not see me, and again a little while and you will see me? Truly, truly, I say to you that you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. You will grieve, but your grief will be turned into joy. Whenever a woman is in labor, she has pain because her hour has come, but when she gives birth to the child, she no longer remembers the anguish because of the joy that a child has been born into the world. Therefore, you too will grieve now. But I will see you again, and your hearts will rejoice, and no one can take that joy away from you. Oh, the promise of joy in the midst of suffering. Look at verse 23. And in that day, you will not question me about anything. Truly, truly, I say to you, if you ask the Father for anything in my name, he'll give it to you now. Until now, you've asked for nothing in my name, but ask and you will receive so that your joy may be made full. Oh, the Lord promises the joy of the Lord, the joy of the Lord, even in the midst of excruciatingly difficult trials and tribulations, the joy of the Lord. And he does that by prefacing it in a future hope. Look again in verse 16. A little while and you'll no longer see me, but again in a little while you will see me. Now I studied this passage out quite a bit and I've got to tell you that even very solid evangelical conservative commentators disagree and I just hate when that happens. But there were some who believed that this was a reference, a little while and you will see me, a reference to what we call the post-ascension when Christ would uh, in those 40 days began to make appearances, the disciples and many others saw him as well prior to the time that he ascended to the Father. Some think this refers to the second coming of Christ when those who are uh, believers who are Christ's followers will be able to see him and will be taken up in the rapture of the church in the first phase of the second coming while others believe that what he's speaking here is the day of Pentecost the day when the spirit of God would descend after Christ's ascension to the father where he's now seated at the right hand of the Lord and beloved scripture tells us that he is ever living to make intercession for us that is in this moment he is praying for his daughters that you and I will comprehend just part of the breadth and the depth of what it means to know Jesus Christ as personal Lord and Savior and so most believe um, and I tend to fall out on this side as well that this is a reference to the coming of the Holy Spirit in context if you can think back to what Donna taught us last week the promise of the coming of the Holy Spirit that seems the most plausible that he was telling them you're going to there's coming a time and I'm going away but you're going to see me again you're going to see me through the power of the indwelling spirit of the living God we're not sure exactly what it means but we do know this that Jesus comforted his disciples and he comforts us with a promise of a future hope to see him face to face and the scripture teaches when we see him face to face we don't know what we're going to look like but we know we're going to look just like Jesus Christ and may that very thought 
sustain us all. That remark only served to confuse the disciples. And as I told you as I was reading this text, that the disciples began to talk among themselves and began to think to themselves, what in the world is he talking about? Jesus discerned their thoughts, knew their troubled hearts. And so he says to them in verse 20, truly, truly, I say, you're going to weep and lament. The world will rejoice. Beloved, there was three days when Satan and every demonic spirit believed they had won. And then the stone rolled away. And what Satan believed was his greatest triumph would prove to be the very thing that put the death knell in the spiritual kingdom of darkness. But the world will rejoice. For in that day they hated the Lord Jesus and they hate him now. In fact, we are seeing hatred unleashed against believers and the body of Christ in really unprecedented ways, certainly in my own lifetime. You will grieve, he said, but your grief will be turned in joy. And then he gives the illustration of a woman giving birth. And he goes on to say that in that birth pangs, during that process, she is suffering the greatest suffering she will probably ever know. But when the baby is born, that baby that has caused such grief and sorrowing and suffering will suddenly be the source of her greatest joy. And this was something the disciples could relate to. He goes on to tell them, about how their prayer life would change. He had taught them to pray to the Father. You remember he taught them the Lord's Prayer when they asked him to teach them how to pray. But beloved, now a new dispensation was about to be ushered in when he went to the Father in his ascension and the Spirit of God descended to indwell every believer. Now, beloved, he is telling them there's a day coming and you're going to have direct access to the very throne of God. You're going to pray to the Father by the Son, through the Spirit of the living God. Now, try to imagine what these Jewish ears were hearing and the impact of that. In all the years of their Jewishness, what they had known was the priest and the sacrifice and the temple. And now he's saying, you will have full access to God the Father. Oh, don't let that escape you. Until now, he says, you have asked nothing in my name, but you will ask and you will receive when you ask in my name. Now, beloved, let me quickly say that uh, that means that we would ask for nothing apart from the perfect will of the Father. But when you and I pray in the power of the Holy Spirit, he can guide and direct our prayers as we lift them before the Father. And the scripture teaches that even when we don't know how to pray, the Spirit of God intercedes for us. Hallelujah. The second thing I want you to see is the promise of love. Look in verse 25, these things I have spoken to you in a figurative language, but an hour is coming. I'll no longer speak to you in figurative language, but I'm going to tell you plainly of the Father. Again, I believe that's a reference to the coming Holy Spirit. And that day you will ask in my name. I don't say that you will request of the Father on uh, on your behalf, but the Father himself, he loves you. And because you've loved me and have believed that I have come from the Father, he reassures them with the promise of love. He tells these troubled disciples, the Father loves you. The Father loves you on account of me because you believe me, because you receive me, because I am your Savior. 
The Father loves you. Oh, beloved, when we go through seasons of testing and trials and trouble, we need to be reminded the Father loves us. Because this is what happens when life gets hard. It clouds our spiritual vision. And what happens in that moment If we don't check ourselves, if we don't turn quickly to the Lord and cast all our cares on him because he cares for us, the enemy slithers in and he begins to implant his twisted, warped reality and he tries to make us believe it. And if we do not have our spiritual antennas up, we will fall for it and begin to believe the enemy's lies. And it will render us ineffective for Jesus Christ. And so just as Jesus reminds his disciples, you are loved of the Father because you love me. And we are in fellowship. We are in relationship. And because of that, you can rest assured that you are loved of the Father. Oh, daughters of the King, let me remind you, you are loved of the Father. If you are in Christ You are in a love relationship even as you are in a legal binding relationship because of the covenant that was cut on the cross. Now it's very interesting here, but typically when the father is mentioned in connection with love or the son, the word in the original language that is used is agape. That is the God kind of love, divine love that only God can be the source of. But it's very interesting Here, in verse 27, the Father himself loves you because you have loved me. The word is not agape, it's phileo. That word, in the original language, means brotherly love or kind affection. It's family language. What Jesus is saying here is you are loved as a daughter and son in the kingdom of God. The scripture tells us that in Christ we've been made to be heirs of God and joint heirs with Jesus Christ. Let that sink in. At the moment we received Jesus, we were given equal standing with our elder brother, And the Father values us in Christ even as he does his only begotten Son. We are family. We are family. In fact, I believe that's one of the reasons that the quarantine and the pandemic and all that was wrapped up in that was so hard for us as the body of Christ. Because we are built for relationship, for community. I I, I told Mr. Stockdale, if I could just go to church If they just would allow us in church throughout the quarantine, I could have managed this much better. But when we begin to be cut off from the body of Christ in those early days of the quarantine, my sanguine soul, my equilibrium spiritually began to get out of kilter because I was missing the community that is built from being with like-minded people in the faith. I believe many of you found that to be true as well. And so Jesus promises them in their darkest hour the joy of the Lord, the joy of the Lord, full of grace and glory, the joy of the Lord that's inexpressible through the Father. He reminds them they are loved of the Father. There is the promise of love. And finally, I want you to see the promise of peace. Look with me in verse 28. Chapter 16, verse 28, I came forth from the Father, speaking of his incarnation, 
And I have come into the world, speaking of his mission. And I'm leaving the world again, speaking of his death on the cross. And I am going to the Father, speaking of his ascension. In this one verse, Jesus recounts all that the Father has sent him to do. And his disciples said, look in verse 29, Oh, now you're speaking plainly and you're not using a figure of speech. So now we know, now we know that you know all things and have no one for anyone to question you. By this we believe that you have come from God. Beloved, it shows how naive and overconfident these men were. And Jesus goes on to say, Verse 31, Jesus answered them and said, Do you now believe? Behold, an hour is coming and has already come for you to be scattered, each one to his own home, and to leave me alone. And yet I am not alone because the Father is with me. These things I have spoken to you so that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take courage. I have overcome the world. The disciples thought they had full understanding of everything he had been teaching them. And I believe this was more of an observation than a rebuke, but the Lord was trying to reveal their own hearts to them and let them know a time is coming very quickly, very soon, when you are all going to scatter and leave me behind. We know that John stayed at the cross, but the others ran. And this was just a short time after Peter had said, Lord! I'm prepared to die for you just a short time ago. And I believe all the disciples shared the same sentiment. But in reality, in reality, Jesus knew their faith would falter. And I believe in telling them that he knew it would falter, that he was reminding them that he could see the future, that he knew all things. And when it happened... His words would resonate with the disciples. And while I'm sure they felt shame and disgust at their own weakness, there's a part of me that believes that even that, beloved, would be used of the Lord to remind the disciples that Jesus was exactly who he said he was. He was the Son of God. And because he could tell them what was going to happen in the future, when it would happen, I believe there would be restoration even in their weakness. When you and I fail the Lord as we do every day, we're so hard on ourselves. And perhaps rightly so, but beloved, we need to begin to see that what the Lord has for us is confession and repentance. If you stay too long in that place of beating up on yourself, beloved, The enemy will make sure confession and repentance becomes farther and farther away. Rather, when you fail him, keep short accounts with him and quickly turn to him. Confess your sins, repent of it, ask for his forgiveness, and then let him restore you. Oh, and his final words to them just before they go into the Garden of Gethsemane. He said, in the world you're going to have trouble, but in me you're going to have peace, the peace that passes all understanding. This is how you look up when your world falls down. And take courage. I have overcome the world. 
Oh, beloved, he has overcome the world. He has overcome the world system, the power of the flesh, the wiles of the wicked one in spiritual and heavenly places. He has paid the price for our sin. He has broken the power of canceled sin. He is the victor and we stand in his victory. That's who we are. And beloved, even in the time that we are living in, when we are just seeing unprecedented evil poured out, when we are seeing division and brokenness, a world that is coming unglued, when we are seeing a virus that is threatening and dangerous, when we are seeing even believers separating themselves over some of the most foolish things, even in that, beloved, the scripture teaches that we can have the joy of the Lord. We have the love of the Father. And in Christ, we have the peace that passes all understanding. So today, I want to leave you with this thought. Take courage. Take courage wherever you are, whatever is going on in your life, whatever difficulty you are facing, take courage. Jesus is standing strong in the midst of your crisis. He is standing strong, interceding for you even now. The Spirit of God is indwelling you, urging you on to fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross that we might know his peace and joy and love. Beloved, take courage. Take courage. Jesus has overcome the world. And even though the world looks to be falling apart, we can know with certainty that our King Jesus is sovereignly ruling and reigning in the affairs of men. He has overcome death, hell, and the grave. Therefore, we can cry out, death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, sting, oh, excuse me. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, grave, where is your sting? We have been redeemed. We will be resurrected. We have the hope of the resurrection because Jesus, our first fruits, was raised from the dead, seated at the right hand of the Father. We do not minimize suffering. I know many of you are in hard places. We don't deny grief. I know many of you have lost so much during this pandemic, and many of you are in hard, tough places. We do not ignore pain and pretend that this doesn't hurt because it does. Rather, we trust. In the Lord. We take courage that in every trial and every tribulation, up into including the valley of the shadow of death, that we can walk with Him with grace and dignity. We may be walking on shaky legs of faith, beloved, but in the midst of it all, we can abide in Him by His Word and by His Spirit. We can walk through it all. And I've got to tell you, it won't be long, I believe, until we'll see him face to face. And in that day, in that day, beloved, we will be made just like him. We will hear him say, well done, my good and faithful servant. You, you were willing to do the hard thing. Welcome in to all that I prepared for you. Until that day comes, may we be found faithful. Amen and amen.